This is a Diet of Brussels. Elections, uh, manifestos. Uh, we've got most of them now. Uh, it's uh, the 26th of November, so I think the only one we haven't got is the SMPs. Um, but I think it's useful just to kind of run through a bit of what they say about uh, Brexit, both in the narrow sense and in the broader sense, because one of the things that's been interesting for me in the election campaign so far has been the extent to which Brexit is both everywhere and nowhere. And uh, I think this is something which is not very much discussed. If we look at manifestos, we can see that all of the parties have uh, pretty clear positions on what to do with Article 50 uh, and the withdrawal agreement. So the Conservatives want to ratify the agreement that uh, David uh, Cameron, not David Cameron, Boris Johnson, Freudian slip, uh, that Boris Johnson uh, negotiated back in October so that the UK leaves in uh, the end of January next year. Uh, Labour want to uh, renegotiate their withdrawal agreement uh, within three months and then have a referendum within six months uh, with an option to remain. Uh, we'll talk a bit about the detail of that. Uh, Liberal Democrats want to revoke uh, and remain and then the Brexit party wants to leave without a deal, uh, to have a no-deal Brexit, and then pretty much everyone else wants to have a referendum. So the Greens, SNP, uh, Plaid Cymru, uh, all of this is that, uh, you know, sets out the positions that we know. There hasn't really been anything in that that is that much more uh, uh, substantial. Um, uh, Labour sketched out a little bit more what their renegotiation would aim for, so permanent customs union, close alignment with the single market, um, participation in various programmes and agencies, uh, work on security, things like that. But uh, that's all stuff that we really broadly knew and still haven't really unpacked the question of how much this is in the withdrawal agreement and how much this is for a future relationship. But that's, uh, I think, a, a level of uh, discussion and reflection that perhaps uh, hasn't happened or is not going to come through uh, at this stage because it's not really the object of the exercise. But what is interesting uh, for me is that uh, there needs to be a sense of what there is beyond uh, Article 50, because uh, whatever the situation, whatever the outcome, the European Union is still there, and uh, it's, it's informative to have a sense of what uh, that uh, broader uh, relationship would be. So, you know, how do each of the parties see themselves uh, developing that relationship? Well, uh, we have a much greater variety of specification. We get some parties that say absolutely nothing, others that say quite a lot. Um, perhaps the most uh, intriguing, uh, and yet at the same time uh, least surprising, is the Brexit party who make absolutely no comment at all in their contract, as they call their manifesto, uh, about what post-withdrawal relationships would be, other than to say that there's no 
ongoing relationship that there's just you know there's nothing uh, worth mentioning uh, other than we've made a clean break and so uh, there's no indication at all of how uh, there would be an intention to manage the relationship with the EU uh, there's an inference that we're at uh, uh, a no-deal situation which implies a um, WTO type uh, arrangement with the EU on trade in goods but beyond that uh, other trade uh, services the political relationship the military relationship none of that is set out uh, at all at the other extreme we have some very detailed proposals uh, from uh, the smaller parties uh, if you look at the Greens they have a whole program of what they would be aiming for uh, as members of the EU uh, so particularly about some constitutional uh, amendments giving Parliament uh, some right to propose legislation which it doesn't have at the moment that's only the Commission uh, some more capacity for citizens to pro propose changes to the treaties so not just uh, secondary legislation but uh, uh, sorry primary legislation but also constitutional texts then working to reform uh, transparency reforming the CAP, more work on the environment, social rights, labour inequalities, things like that, making freedom of movement a core principle of the EU, so kind of further embedding that in the system, and a, a number of other details. Now, all of this is clearly predicated on uh, membership, um, much the same way that if you look at the Plaid uh, Cymru uh, manifesto, who talk a lot about trying to improve uh, research uh, networks uh, about trying to improve migration policy, uh, improving uh, environmental rights and human rights and trade deals, uh, things like that. All of these are kind of grounded in a logic of being members. In the same way that you see in more vague terms uh, the Liberal Democrats talking about uh, close cooperation on climate change, environmental policy, uh, work on foreign relations in relation to Iran, Ukraine. Uh, these are um, models which, uh, to a certain extent, assume a return to normality uh, in British European policy, that you know, we, we're aiming to go back to a situation of being members, uh, and at that point we can just do the normal kinds of things. What's interesting here is that there's no real sense of how that is built up, you know, where are the alliances, the leverage, the momentum that this approach uh, would build on, you know. Uh, yes, the Greens, you have probably the most detailed uh, set of proposals, uh, do have allies across Europe but they certainly don't have the kind of leverage to produce this kind of scale of change. Even the Liberal Democrats uh, who have maybe more of a, uh, a claim to being a part of a big group at the European level with Renew uh, are still not in a position to do that much and certainly if you compare the uh, scale of their ambition with that of the most prominent Renew member, Emmanuel Macron, uh, you can see how there is still a lot 
of space uh, between them, and indeed uh, some quite substantial differences uh, of intent. So the parties that are talking about remain are really kind of talking about, uh, if you like, this, uh, what I've taken to calling in recent years, this Bobby Ewing model, which is that it was all a dream. We uh, realized it was a silly thing to try and leave. We're not leaving, and we just go back to how it was before. And you know, the last three and a half years were just uh, an aberration, and let's just not talk about it. Equally, the Brexit party is taking the opposite extreme of saying, well, let's just pretend the EU disappears. You know, there it is. Uh, we've left, we've made a clean break, and we never have to think about it again. Now, neither of those policies, I think, are particularly realistic in the sense of programs of government and uh, process, which is why it's interesting that the two parties that look most likely to be at the centre of any government uh, after this general election, Conservatives and Labour, are the ones that perhaps have the most interesting uh, efforts to try and unpack what their European policy might be. For the Conservatives, the intention is to make European policy be focused on securing a new free trade agreement. So one that is not seeing uh, the involvement of the UK in customs union or the single market, uh, one that has no political alignment, as they put it, uh, and one which ends the role of the European Court of Justice, to use the manifesto's words. And all of this would be up and running by the end of 2020, uh, because there's a, an uncaveated uh, commitment uh, in the manifesto to not extend the transition period beyond uh, that uh, date. Now, that, that comes despite very clear consensus amongst uh, uh, experts and commentators and people who might be involved in the decision-making on the European side that this is not nearly enough time to get uh, a deal put in place, even on a provisional basis. And, um, well, actually, no, that's not true. There is time to get a deal that quickly, but it's a deal in which the UK just basically has to accept whatever the EU offers. Um, and uh, that seems uh, not particularly realistic either. So the timeline, I think, here is one in which uh, we have the biggest problem with the Conservative uh, model. But still, it recognises that... Uh, European policy uh, is going to be about trying to build a new stable relationship with the EU. The challenge is what does that actually look like? Uh, when Conservatives talk about ending the role of the European Court of Justice, uh, that makes life very difficult for them because again, as we know and we've discussed on this podcast many times, the Court of Justice is the final arbiter of EU law. And so any agreement that the EU enters into with the UK of whatever type, free trade agreement, association agreements, you know, something more like the European Economic Area, whatever, the, the extent to which there is uh, 
uh, a sharing of EU rules and processes, or indeed of UK processes by the EU, will by definition involve the Court of Justice having a role. So what does this ending the role mean? Uh, and on that, we've never had a clear answer. Clearly, it is a strongly politically framed commitment, uh, but one which really doesn't provide anything useful in a legal sense. Um, the potential solution would be that you create some kind of new court or panel that makes decisions about the interpretation of uh, this new free trade agreement. But the EU has had some experience of that in other cases and really doesn't like uh, what has happened. And so it seems uh, not very likely to want to repeat the exercise uh, unless it has to. And even when it does, that panel still will have to find itself uh, working out a relationship with the court on issues that relate solely to EU rules. There's also, I think, another issue uh, around this uh, model that the Conservatives offer, which talks about no political alignment, uh, even though it talks about ongoing political uh, and uh, strategic and military cooperation through other channels, uh, most obviously NATO. Um, given the extent to which uh, there is a desire to push a, a traditional uh, conservative agenda of law and order, uh, withdrawing from uh, home security, domestic security arrangements uh, as provided for within the EU seems somewhat uh, counterintuitive. And so uh, the, the boundary, I think more generally, between economics and politics is one that is not poorly that is uh, poorly defined in all of this and makes it harder for the, the Conservatives to say what is and isn't uh, in, included. So one example, there is a commitment to maintain participation in scientific research programmes, so things like uh, uh, Horizon 2020 and the other big scientific uh, programmes. Now, that's uh, great from my perspective, uh, not least because I'm on one of uh, the projects funded by the EU that's going to run for the next three years, uh, so well into this uh, future that's been talked about. But the politics of that participation are not insignificant. Um, the UK has always been uh, relatively very successful uh, in securing funding because we have some very good universities uh, and some very good academics and a very internationalised higher education uh, sector which places it well for the kinds of things that are being looked for. So uh, how the UK uh, contributes financially into those programmes, how it uh, tries to manage uh, the uh, allocation of funds, whether it's willing to accept some kind of secondary status and whether there'll be limits imposed on how much funding can come to the uh, UK, all remain to be discussed. Uh, you know, it's one of those policies that sounds good, why wouldn't we want to cooperate on research, but comes with a whole bunch of problems. Now, having said all of this about the Conservatives, 
uh, it's clear that uh, that is still a uh, well-articulated uh, project in comparison to Labour's uh, position. Um, again, Labour's dilemma is that it's suggesting two pathways. It's saying we want to renegotiate uh, the terms of withdrawal and then say to people either you can have that or you can remain. So it needs to say what it is that it's trying to do. The, the model is is that whatever happens the UK would remain in a relatively close relationship with uh, the EU either as a member or as uh, something that's much closer to a, a Norwegian style arrangement um, where you have minimal uh, disruption to um, uh, activities. Um, and that's something that extends not just economically but also politically. Uh, again, they want the UK to stay in the, the research uh, activities and all the other kind of uh, programs that there are. So it, it's a lot like membership, but not being membership. But if you look at the broader construction of policy, we go back into something that is uh, rather uncertain. If the UK does uh, decide to leave, then we get this really banal statement that the UK would work constructively on vital issues of mutual benefit to uh, both the UK and the EU's uh, interests. Now, one would imagine that that would be what anybody would do. Why would anyone not work constructively on vital issues of mutual benefit? Uh, you know, I think even the most pig-headed person would say, well, no, if we both think it's important, we both gain from it, uh, we should do something together. Um, so we don't actually gain any insight really about what the ongoing relationship is like, except in that implicit sense that because there is that close alignment with the EU, it is uh, something where uh, it's more about... Uh, how you position yourself rather than about what you're trying to do. It's about let's try and get on and let's not try and sweat what we're actually trying to achieve, you know, what might be our substantive goals in all of this. By contrast, if uh, the UK voted to remain, then we get, well, not much more detail. It says it wants to try and push the EU into a new direction, so talking about climate change, uh, working on tax evasion, ending austerity and inequality. Now, again, like the other parties that talk about remaining, uh, that's all great stuff, uh, but how is it going to achieve that? And if you like, uh, I think this points again to this kind of uh, cakeist uh, position that different parties have on Europe, that Either they just say, well, you know, we want this and we're going to fight for this, but with no real sense of how you actually deliver uh, on that. Um, you know, remember that the centre-left is not in a healthy condition uh, across uh, the EU. And uh, with that in mind, you end up with this kind of uh, 
Hopi-based policy that doesn't really lay down a clear pathway. Most interestingly, I think, on the, the Labour case is really that there's not really acknowledgement about the disruptive cost of the Brexit process to date. Uh, the assumption in the text is really very much that, well, because we'll have worked through this in renegotiating and then this referendum, that whatever happens, you know, we'll have the Europeans on side and that that will work well. But this comes back, I think, to that big problem, that this renegotiation, in terms of what uh, uh, can be done, is highly problematic. Think about all the things that are listed as objectives of that new deal. So permanent customs union, close alignment with the single market, uh, dynamic alignment on rights, participation in agencies and funding programs, participation in security arrangements. None of those things are included in the withdrawal agreement. All of those things are things that currently sit within the uh, political declaration, which is about the next stage. So there's nothing in the, the manifesto about what's wrong with the withdrawal agreement, which is what the Labour Party say they want to renegotiate. Instead, you might end up with something that looks a lot like Boris Johnson's uh, renegotiation, uh, but even more weighted to the political declaration side of things than the withdrawal agreement. Perhaps you'll get a reversion to, or an attempt to revert to the previous model on the Irish backstop um, as a way of uh, underpinning uh, the commitment to alignment, or you don't, and you just get uh, a lot of nice words in the political declaration. The difficulty clearly here for Labour is, is that they have not decided what it is that they want to achieve from this process other than to hope that it doesn't scupper their chances of forming the next government. And evidently there is still a battle to be fought within the party about what, uh, if any, uh, option they campaign for in a referendum. The dilemma here is, I hope, pretty obvious. On the one hand, there's a keen desire to secure a deal that uh, serves the UK well should leave uh, take place. So keep the UK as close as possible to the EU so that we minimise the disruption and the change. But if you think that Remain is the better option, then you might have an incentive to say, well, let's not try too hard on the renegotiation because if we make leave look too attractive, then uh, people will leave. Uh, whereas actually what we really want is them to remain. So why don't we just make it a poor choice and then say, well, look, you know, we tried and we couldn't do it, so let's stay on the inside because the only way we can really affect change is as members. So much would come down in a Labour-led government to who was doing the negotiating, who was keeping tabs on them, and what kind of parliamentary control was there. And this takes us out of manifestos into that big problem that voters uh, face in terms of the decision. At the moment, as things stand, we've got a Conservative Party that is well in the lead. Uh, we have 
perhaps a possibility that uh, we might have a, a hung parliament in which it might be possible for Labour to put together some kind of uh, uh, arrangement. But we know that there is a real problem here uh, around Jeremy Corbyn as a, a leader, which is not going to be sat, uh, solved anytime soon. So as much as we can look at the manifestos, and I apologise I spent 25 minutes talking about manifestos to tell you that perhaps they don't matter, but perhaps they don't matter. Uh, we have no uh, firm... Uh, anticipation that there will definitely be one party in power. Even the Conservatives who look uh, easily the best placed to achieve that are not out of the woods on uh, their situation. We're seeing a bit of tightening in the polls, uh, we're seeing a much stronger performance in Wales for Labour uh, in a big poll that's just come out today. Maybe Scotland plays a role but the Tories seem to be holding up there. Uh, all of this is very speculative. And so one of the things I think we need to think about when we're thinking about where this heads to is where is the overlap between parties on uh, moving this forward? And again, a reminder, as I reminded you so many times, there are only three options in the withdrawal agreement. Uh, either you accept it and you leave, you don't accept it and you leave, so a no deal, or you don't accept it and you stay, so you revoke. So those are the only options. Now, uh, Liberal Democrats have had a big reining in of their ambition from talking about forming the next government to maybe they can stop the Tories. But even they have uh, kind of vacillated a bit that maybe if the Tories offered a referendum, then perhaps the Lib Dems might support them. Uh, equally, they might support Labour, but they won't support Jeremy Corbyn in a coalition. So a bit back and forth. Potentially, given that all of the parties that might hold the balance of power, with the exception of the DUP, and we haven't really talked about the DUP, uh, would like a referendum, perhaps all of this makes a referendum look like the most likely outcome. Uh, either with a renego renegotiation if it's Labour or without if it's the Tories. But given the experience of the AV referendum in 2011, the way in which the Lib Dems got badly burnt uh, on that front, I think there's going to be a lot of caution about going down that particular path. Ultimately, uh, I think this speaks to the more general problem about how British politics sees and deals with the European Union. This is all largely through the function of the EU, uh, the UK and what the UK wants, rather than what might work within the context of uh, European politics. There's no sense in any of these documents uh, about partnerships and alliances, about the uh, strategic value uh, that is trying to be secured in all of this. So even those policies that talk about lots of details, let's say the Greens, you know, the, the underlying values that uh, uh, underpin all of that are not really articulated in all of this. So, to summarise, we've got manifestos, 
but we're not sure that they are particularly uh, insightful. We've got parties that are not sure about what the outcome of the election might be and what horse trading they might uh, have to undergo in order to secure a majority. And we've got an electorate that largely still talks about getting Brexit done. Um, the Tories have done a very good job in use, making that the kind of the motto of most people. Uh, yes, lots of people want to get it done, and yes, lots of people have lots of different ideas about what it is that needs to be done to get it done, but the notion that this is a barrier, a hurdle to be jumped, is very clear in all the documents that you read. You know, that most of these manifestos do not talk about Brexit. They talk about Brexit stopping them doing all the other stuff. And if only we could get past that, then we could get on with making the country uh, a better place to be. That's understandable, but that may not be the most constructive attitude uh, to be taking uh, in all of this. So, Perhaps in the next few weeks, uh, remaining of this campaign, we might see some shift, but I'm going to say no. I think uh, parties have set out their stalls. There's not really an intention or a desire or a willingness to uh, have more discussion about Brexit issues other than to uh, berate, uh, berate the other parties about the, the weakness and the rubbishness of their Brexit policies. Um, which is entirely predictable and entirely unhelpful. So, with that slightly miserable note, and I'm blaming the weather, uh, I will leave you, and as and when more stuff happens in this campaign that relates to Brexit, I will tell you. Have a good day, and we'll talk again soon.